We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I am Don Marsh. The battleship USS Missouri has carried our state's name for seven decades now. It's been formidable in war and symbolic in peace. The Mighty Mo, as it's called, is currently permanently berthed at Pearl Harbor. It's adjacent to the memorial dedicated to the USS Arizona, which was sunk by the Japanese in that infamous 1941 attack that launched World War II. It was aboard the Missouri four years later that the Japanese formally surrendered during a ceremony in Tokyo Bay. But the vessel's history did not end there. Joining me in studio to talk about the ship, its history, and its future is Mike Carr, the president and CEO of the USS Missouri Memorial Association. It's the organization responsible for, uh, responsible, that is, for preserving the battleship and operating it as a memorial museum. Mike, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Well, you chose the right time to leave Hawaii. They're uh, having a little storm trouble over there. I didn't know about that when I left, and right. I'll probably hear about it from my wife when I get back. What are you hearing about it with regard to the uh, to the battleship in Pearl Harbor? Oh, we're fine. Uh, the ship is anchored to the pier with uh, 10 mighty chains. Uh, they took all the brows off last night and uh, disconnected shore power, so we'll be fine. Uh, the ship can withstand just about anything. But other vessels in the area have gotten out of Dodge. They're going, uh, they're leaving the area. Apparently so. Yeah. Let's talk, of course, about uh, about uh, Missouri's favorite battleship. Uh, this is not the first uh, ship in the Navy named after the state of Missouri. No, actually, it's the fourth. Yeah. And uh, the fifth is now the submarine, SSN 780, which is now homeported in Pearl Harbor. It came in in uh, January. And uh, at the time, Lieutenant Governor Parson uh, was there along with a group uh, from uh, dignitaries from Missouri. We all got to go out and ride on the sub and then uh, come in and the next day had a big uh, ceremony on board the battleship. And uh, now Governor Parson got to tour the ship and see what we're doing. And he's become a great supporter. Well, what are you doing? A lot of renovation going on, I understand. Well, always. Uh, there's always a lot of renovation. It takes a lot of uh, effort and money. Uh, to preserve uh, 45,000 tons of steel that sits in a saltwater, high-humidity environment. Uh, So there's always a lot of grinding and painting going on and the restoration of the teak deck. Uh, Much of the work that we do is not visible because it's below the waterline or deep down in the bowels of the ship because our our concern, of course, is from not wanting the ship to rust from the outside in, equally from the inside out. And so a lot of work goes into that. You know, I spent seven days on the Missouri back in 1991, last voyage from Long Beach to Pearl Harbor, last voyage under its own steam to Pearl Harbor for the anniversary of uh, that attack. That was the last official act of yeah. the uh, Missouri. And so that, because of that is why the ship was the last battleship ever decommissioned in March of 92. You know, the thing that impressed me about that ship was just its size. It is just so much bigger than I think people might uh, might realize if they've never seen it. People get off the bus and are they immediately, you can see them stop because they're stunned and they start taking pictures. The ship is three football fields long. It's 887 yeah. feet long, 106 feet uh, at the beam, just barely narrow enough to make it through the Panama Canal with about a foot to spare on either side. And that was intentional? That was intentional. That was part of the design. Yeah. It's, uh, again, at rest, at rest it's 45,000 tons fully loaded. It would be about 10,000 tons more than that. 
Um, there's about 20 stories from the bottom of the hull mm-hmm. to the top of the mast. Um, they don't build them like that anymore. No, and uh, a, a crew of what was it, 3,000 at one time? Was a 2,400 it crew. Yeah. Uh, but when the uh, ship was uh, refurbished in the 1980s and they took off all the anti-aircraft 20 and 40 millimeter guns from the deck, um, the crew then was reduced to 1,600. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a third of the crew, their primary function was to operate all those anti-aircraft guns. Mm-hmm. Well, she was commissioned late. It was 1944, as I recall. And uh, the, the the war was... Uh, not winding down, but it didn't have long to go when she got into things. No. In fact, there were two more battleships in various stages of construction, which the uh, War Department uh, stopped construction on uh, midway through the war, actually, because I guess the uh, they, they knew the war was won at that point. It was just a matter of time. And technology was advancing so rapidly that it was basically passing the era of the battleships ba- by. But the the battleship Missouri was the last battleship ever launched on January 29, 1944, and the 75th anniversary of that occasion is coming Mm -hmm. up this next January. Even so, it was late in the game. Uh, The battleship got in in on a couple of big uh, shows, Okinawa, Iwo Jima. That's right. Uh, And uh, during the Battle of Okinawa, is when the ship came under attack by the kamikaze uh, Suic- suicide planes. Suicide planes, and that's none, one of the other famous stories about the ship. People, most people are aware that you know World War II ended on on the decks, but uh, there's other stories, and the kamikaze story is one that that we tell a lot. Uh, the the pilot's body was recovered, and the crew was ready to toss the uh, body overboard, but the captain, who was the first captain of the ship, uh, William uh, Callahan, stopped them and insisted that they give uh, the pilot a, a, a soldier's burial, which they did the next day. And there's still a scar on the ship uh, from that, uh, the, the glancing blow that that plane delivered. We almost got fixed uh, when we were in dry dock in 2009, but I, I caught it in time and told them, no, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Well, it, what happened after that? Well, let me, get, let me back up just a little bit and find out why the Missouri was selected to be the place where the, uh, the surrender was uh, performed. Well, that was courtesy of the, uh, uh, the commander-in-chief at that time, Harry Truman. Uh-huh. Uh, and he always <clears throat> considered the battleship Missouri to be his ship. You know, his daughter was the sponsor and uh, christened the ship. And he spoke at the launching of the ship when he was then a fairly obscure senator. Uh, but then, you know, a year and a half later, he's the president of, of the United States. The uh, Our sister ship, the New Jersey, was actually Halsey's flagship. And so they uh, naturally assumed that they would get the honor. But the commander-in-chief had other ideas, and so Halsey had to transfer his flag to the Missouri. Well, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure I've seen video of this. When Margaret Truman uh, was christening the ship, it was a fairly messy prospect for her, wasn't it? Apparently the bottle wasn't prepared right, and so it sprayed <laughs> all over, all over her, her, her fur coat, and I guess it smelled of champagne uh, for the rest of the time she had it. You know, you talk about Truman's uh, 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 love affair with that ship. Didn't he use it on occasion as kind of a, a personal cruise ship for himself? Oh, yes. He was on the ship numerous times during the time that he was president, and one time for a period, almost two weeks when the ship brought him back 
from a conference in Rio uh, back to Washington. And, you know, he crossed the equator and went through all of the ceremony mm. that you go through when you cross the equator for the first time, although they didn't, you know, humiliate him as much as they normally do uh, a sailor doing it for the for the first time. But he definitely, there's pictures of him, you know, eating, uh, in uh, taking his tray through the, the chow line and eating with the, the sailors and leading calisthenics. And he definitely believed uh, to the day he died that that was his ship. And the ship uh, became kind of a floating ambassador for the country after the After the war, it did. Mm -hmm. Uh, It served many diplomatic missions on one occasion, taking the body of a Turkish ambassador who had died during the war, but they hadn't been able to take the body back because of the war. So went to Istanbul and and made a number of uh, of, uh, courtesy calls on, on various ports. And then the Korean War broke out, and quickly she returned uh, to duty. Uh, uh, bombing uh, during the Korea and, and providing the covering fire for the invasion of Incheon, which kind of turned the course of, of that war. And so it was very active during the Korean War and then was decommissioned for the first time in 1955 mm-hmm. and sat for 30 years at Bremerton, uh, Washington, until in the 1980s uh, when President Reagan uh, brought you know the the 600 uh, ship navy and brought all the Iowa class battleships uh, back into action and they were and they spent about 450 million dollars to uh, to modernize the weaponry at that time. So it was all ready for the first Gulf War, Desert Storm. Well, actually, once the Berlin Wall fell mm-hmm. and the Cold War, as it were, ended. Uh, the decision was me- immediately made by the Navy to decommission all the battleships, mm-hmm. and uh, but the the Wisconsin and the uh, and the Missouri were they they stopped the, those decommissionings when the first Gulf War broke out when Iraq invaded Kuwait and, and occupied the country. So uh, the Wisconsin and the Missouri, instead of being decommissioned, were sent to the Persian Gulf. Again, if I remember correctly from uh, my voyage on the Missouri, the captain at the time was Lee Case, who just recently passed away. At, yes. Yeah. And I seem to remember he's, him saying that the Missouri fired the first shot of that war? They did. Uh, they fired the uh, because for about a week, the, <clears throat> the Missouri pounded the beaches of Kuwait to make it appear that they were providing uh, a preliminary cover for an amphibious landing. Mm-hmm. Again, it was just a fake tactic because, as you'll recall, the army went in behind uh, the country of Kuwait, and the whole war was over in a day. Uh, but then we also <clears throat> fired our complement of Tomahawk missiles into uh, into Baghdad, and that was it. War was over for the Missouri. Right, it, that was uh, quite a job, I guess, is re, refitting the uh, the Missouri for modern warfare technology. Yes, uh, I don't not recall exactly how long it took, but the profile of the ship looks completely different than mm-hmm. what it did in in World War II, which for us as you know restorers and preservers, we're constantly you know debating you know what era is it that we're restoring the ship to. And it became very obvious to us early on that we're never going to be able to restore the ship to what it looked like in World War II. That's just impossible. Mm -hmm. So all we could do was maintain the profile of the ship on her last day when she was an active duty ship. Mm -hmm. So that's that's our standard now. Let's talk a bit about those big 16-inch guns, which are so very impressive just to look at. But what's more impressive to me is what they're capable of doing, the range they have and the size of the shells that they fire. Well, each each gun weighs 120 tons, and there's nine. 
They could yeah. be fired independently or all at once. And you've probably seen pictures of when they fire a broadside, all nine guns at once. Yeah. It's an amazing sight to behold. It lifts the ship right out of the water almost. Well, it pushes the ship yeah. back. There's yeah. a huge vortex that goes out behind yeah. that blast. And you had to be pretty clear of the deck when, when that happened. Um, but it could shoot a 2,500-pound uh, shell about 22 or 23 miles and hit a target the size of a house uh, from that distance. And the shell would be in the air for 50 seconds. So the targeting is very sophisticated mm-hmm. because in 50 seconds, you know, the earth turns. And uh, so they had some very sophisticated math that they used. And if you go into the plotting rooms, which are down in the engineering spaces, you will see an entire gigantic room that's about the size of your building. It's filled with a 19... 19- 40s-era analog uh, computer, and uh, that's what they used. And again, if my memory serves me, I'm going back to a good many years, I seem to remember seeing a video of one of these big shells hitting a moving vehicle in the desert. Oh, they, that is in the Gulf War, actually, yeah. because they, as they were, they, the, the, the Missouri also fired some of the very first drones off the back mm-hmm. of the ship, uh, and they used them for targeting the guns. And they filmed, apparently, a truck going from one one. refueling station to another. So they just followed the path of the truck and hit wherever it had stopped, and it would blow up, and eventually they they hit the truck. Yeah, and it's amazing video to think of a uh, 2,500-pound piece of metal (laughs) flying across the desert and hitting The truck had no chance. (laughs) No, no, it was vaporized, I think. In fact, there are actually stories of entire companies of Iraqi soldiers surrendering to the drone when they saw it flying above them. And this is true. That's been confirmed because they knew that if they didn't, something really bad was going to happen in about a minute. I, I'd forgotten that story. There are pictures, I think, of them with their, with arm, their arms up, with their arm, right. arms raised. You know, um, one of the things, Mike, that uh, also struck me was about the time that, this, uh, that, that, that I was on the voyage, my son was playing Nintendo a lot. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, he's, he's wasting a lot of his time, you know, in front of the uh, television set doing that. And then I went on the Missouri and went into the, I've forgotten what you call it. The CEC, the combat engagement. Exactly, exactly. And here are all these young guys, about 21 and 22 years old, operating the machinery of war with joysticks that looked exactly like they were playing Nintendo. But they were firing those guns in the tomahawks. That's right, and and including the drone as well. Uh, And uh, so it's, uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Send them back in front of the TV. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about this renovation project. What, what exactly uh, is going on? I mean, you, it's it's slightly reconfigured because it can't look like it once did. But what's it look like now, and what are you doing? Well, we're uh, aside from all the metal repair uh, that we're doing uh, because we want to make the ship look as as uh, ship shape as we possibly can when we hit the 75th anniversary of the end of the war in 2020. Uh, we're almost finished, actually, and we're also restoring uh, the teak deck. I don't think we actually will be done by 2020 on that because it's a very slow, labor-intensive, weather-sensitive uh, project. We're in the process of restoring all 50,000 square feet of the of the teak deck, and we're about 60 percent done. What we've done looks absolutely magnificent, and uh, so we'll continue until we're till we're done, and. Uh, but in addition, you know, we, the, we just recently signed a 25-year lease with the Navy. Uh, I guess they finally figured out that we're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence of that, we can now actually spend some money improving our facilities on the pier. 
And so that's kind of the process what we're in right now is uh, starting that process and raising the money for that. And we can do a lot with our own resources, but but we can't do it all. And so we're we're trying to just raise more support for, for our mission. You still have the plaque uh, on the teak deck that uh, indicates where the surrender was signed? Oh, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. That's where everybody wants to everybody wants to see that when they come. Get their picture taken there if they can. Mm-hmm. Why teak? Uh, well, teak is impervious to just about everything, uh, termites, uh, weather, uh, water, um, and that's why it's a very hard wood that just lasts forever. Uh, but you have to take care of it properly. And so we're actually replacing uh, the teak with old-growth Burmese teak that we're getting fr- from the Far East. It's very expensive, uh, but it lasts forever. And uh, so uh, the, the work that we're doing will will be there long after I'm gone. Uh, my impression is that you have some interactive uh, displays on the ship for, oh, of for course. visitors. Yeah. And what, what would they involve? Well, the interactive displays basically allow a visitor to go into parts of the ship that they can't go in, the, that's not open to the public, the shaft alleys, the, the, you know, the engine rooms, and even the plotting room. Not everybody can get there. And people with you know, physical infirmities have a very hard time making it around that ship uh, because it's not designed for that. And so the interactive displays allow people to see areas of the ship that they wouldn't ordinarily be able to to get into. Yeah. When when you talk, and this doesn't apply now, but uh, when it was in Bremerton, the expression is that the ship is mothballed. What exactly does that mean? Well, when they decommissioned the ship, they put all kinds of dehumidification equipment all over it in order to try and maintain the systems as best they can. And when we took possession of the ship in 1998, all those tubes and 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 dehumidification uh, uh, systems that are just blowing hot air everywhere all had to be uh, removed, and uh, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. So 25 years at Pearl Harbor, you know, I've been there as well. I don't want to make this too personal, but when you go to those places, it's like going to church, isn't it? It's that, that spiritual. When you come to Pearl Harbor and visit the Arizona Memorial and then come and visit the ship, you get a visceral sense of history. I mean, it's not abstract history. It's history that you can see and feel and touch and experience. And there's very few places in this country where you can go to a historic attraction like this and really get a sense of what it must have been like to be there. You can look to your right and see where the um, uh, the war began for the United States while, while you're standing at the spot where the worst conflict in the history of man ended. My recollection of the Arizona is the fact that this was a few years back, but that drops of oil are still coming to the surface or were coming to the surface from the Arizona uh, back two quarts a day. Two quarts, still doing it. Two still quarts a day. From, and from 1941, it's still right. leaking oil. So Somebody said they call it the blood of uh, the, the tears the of the Arizona. The tears of the Arizona. Yeah, and there's still apparently about 50,000 uh, gallons of bunker fuel down in in that uh, in that memorial. Yeah. How how close to the Arizona Memorial is the Missouri? About 500 yards, and right. we're bow to bow with them, uh, symbolically watching <clears> over the. 1,177 men that are buried within uh, that uh, that wreck. How was that decided, uh, the proximity and how this would be set up? To, because symbolism is a big part of it. How was that uh, structured? 
Well, it's a very long story that you yeah. probably don't have time for, but the, uh, the where we are now was not supposed to be the final resting yeah. place for the Missouri. We were supposed to build a pier somewhere else, which mm-hmm. was going to cost an awful lot of money and have to go through a whole lot of environmental reviews. And I think at, at one point, about the time I got with the organization, because I've only been there 10 years, it was basically determined there we would never have enough money to be able to do that. And where we were was perfect. But initially, the Park Service was very uh, uneasy about the presence of the Missouri there because they were afraid that it would somehow detract from the serenity and the solemnity of, of, of the site. But at this point, 20 years later, they're way over that, and everybody mm-hmm. understands that the symbolism of having the two ships right there bow to bow makes perfect sense. One other thing I wanted to mention, I should have gotten to this earlier, is the fact that uh, when the ship after the war was being this, uh, making these ambassadorial trips, they were collecting silver uh, as, as kind of, not a tribute, but people would be uh, happy to see the ship and they would make this, this offer in the various countries. And that silver now is in Jefferson City. Well, the silver, actually the state of Missouri has spent $10,000 in 1947 to uh, uh, order uh, a set of a couple hundred pieces of silver, which were then combined with the silver from the first battleship uh, Missouri in BB-11, and there are now some 300 pieces uh, in that set. A couple of the pieces are actually on display in the governor's mansion in Jefferson City. Uh, they've also generously shared some pieces with us, which we have on display now in our wardroom in, in the, on this ship. Uh, but most of it is, uh, I understand, uh, boxed up and is in the basement of the governor's mansion. Uh, well, I'll be darned. Not far away. Not, uh, unfortunately, not uh, not to be seen. I have a note here. Somebody is asking uh, technical questions. We only have a minute left. How fast does the Missouri uh, go when it was... When it was going. At full speed, it would uh, go 35 knots, and that's moving for 55,000 tons. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they didn't do that very often because that uh, burned through a lot of fuel. And uh, 2.5 million gallons of fuel oil. Is that uh, what does that figure indicate? How much it would need per voyage, or well, I think that's how much it held. Held, okay. Thirty thousand gallons of aviation fuel and 239,000 gallons of fresh water. It's a city. It's a city. Yeah. What's and, all, f- and all the food that uh, you need to feed 2,400 men, yeah. Well, what is your favorite part of the, uh, of the ship and the Enterprise? I love – well, I love I, – I get to work very early every day. And it's such a special time of day to watch the sun coming up and as Pearl Harbor comes alive. And, you know, the ship is the most significant, you know, part <clears> of the <throat> ship. And, you know, we're, we're the only – battleship that actually sits in the middle of an active duty Navy base. Mm. And the the people there at the base are very proud to have the ship there. In fact, the ship is the primary venue for military ceremonies for all branches of the service. We do almost 800 of those ceremonies every year. I've got to end it there. Mike Carr, thank you so much. I would just suggest anybody who can to visit uh, Pearl Harbor and see the Arizona and the Missouri. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for being with us. Podcast episodes of St. Louis on the Air are available at stlpublicradio.com. Org. You can get them there or any place you get your podcast. It's a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Marsh.